ってくる You got a light? You're listening to Arson on CIUT 89.5 on the FM dial. Uh, or are you listening to the Nerdwarty Human Serviette radio show on CITR FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada? Yes, you are. But the Nerdwarty Human Serviette radio show was brought to you today by Arson. Yes, you just heard the band Arson from Toronto, Ontario, with a recording that originally was done in 1979. Coho, Coho by Arson from the Living with the White Folks EP from 1979. But what you just heard there was Arson live on January 16th, 2011 at CIUT on the Equalizing Distort radio show. Arson back together. And the Equalizing Distort radio show is absolutely incredible. It's out of Toronto, Ontario. You can check them out on the web at their blog. Just type in Equalizing Distort into Google and you'll land there. It's one of those blog spotty type things. Equalizing Distort is spelt E-Q-U-A-L-I-Z-I-N-G-X. Distort, D-I-S-T-O-R-T. Equalizing Distort. And they do this radio show and they also put out this fanzine, Equalizing Distort, that I'm holding in my fa- hands right now because I am a fan. Yes, fans and hands do rhyme together, and actually hands are used to beat co-hosts down and 
resurrect them from the grave. And thank you, Stephen, from Equalizing Distort, for sending me this live recording from your radio show. And thank you so much for doing all these amazing radio shows and reuniting all these bands and playing the best of the new bands. That's Equalizing Distort out of CIUT. More info, and you can listen live at CIUT.com. That's www.CIUT.com. FM, actually, not .com, C-I-U-T dot F-M. So that was Arson, recorded live Sunday, January 16th, 2011. They're back together. Arson. Thank you, Equalizing Distort. Today on the Nardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show, an interview with the Swans. Michael Jira of the Swans is coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada next Friday to the rickshaw. And on the Nardwarty Human Serviette Radio Show here today, an interview with the Swans. Stephen from Equalizing Distort, as I mentioned, sent me this live recording done on his radio show of Arson. I also got something in the mail from She. Rita A. Le Westmuller's from France. And we're going to hear that. See, tu ça va. But before we get to the interview with Jira, we're going to hear some Sheeta and Le Westmuller. We're going to hear some Circus Mort, which is Jira's band from The Swans before he was in The Swans. His band right before The Swans, Circus Mort. So right now on an Ardwarty Human Serviette radio show, Sheeta a Lay Westmuller, and then some Circus Mort, two tracks by Circus Mort, and then an interview with Michael Jira from the Swans, who are playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the rickshaw. And actually, we have some tickets to give away to a lucky caller if you want to win some tickets to go see the Swans. 604-822-247, 604-UBC-CITR. If you want to go check out the Swans next Friday night at the rickshaw. So right now, here's Sheeta A. Lay Westmuller on Denardoir de Human Serviette Radio Show.
you what who are you i have no idea i've never have had any idea you are michael jira from the swans and michael who else is in the swans these days uh right now the uh personnel my friends are uh norman westberg who uh was in swans from the very early days in 1981 or two uh he's playing guitar um Thor Harris is playing percussion. That means uh, he's playing uh, vibraphones, uh, tubular bells, uh, uh, concert bells, uh, a gong, <laughs> and uh, several drums and uh, cymbals, and some uh, melodica and what else? And some other things. Oh, oboe. He plays lots of things. Uh, then we have uh, Phil Paleo playing drums and uh, different percussion things. And then we have uh, Chris Pravdika playing bass guitar. And we have Christoph Hahn playing uh, double lap steel guitar and electric guitar, and then myself singing and playing guitar. There are six people in the band. Big and, band. And Thor is an interesting character, isn't he? He has like a neat house in Austin, Texas, doesn't he? Thor has a neat yeah. house. Have you been to his house? Yes. How would you describe it to the people, Thor's house, Michael? Uh, it's sort of like the house in Hansel and Gretel. All totally homemade, right? Yeah. It was actually featured in Home and Gardens once. That's amazing. It was, it was a shack that he built, uh, that he redid and built upon and uh, added a second story, and it's quite beautiful. How is the demon psychic twin doing? Hmm. Oh, you mean my demon brother? Yes, from Joseph's song. Hmm. 
He's kind of good. He's kind of sexy. Kind of angry. <laughs> Michael, what having he, a good time? Would he remember Dipping blood in the snow? Would he remember playing the town pump? in Vancouver, BC, Canada years ago because all the music there played between the bands was Neil Diamond. Do you think you and your demon psychic twin both still love Neil Diamond? Are you still into Neil Diamond? Oh, I love Neil Diamond. The never-ending crescendo. Was that for the entire tour that you played that? What, Neil Diamond? Yeah, in between bands. I don't remember. I'm sorry. Oh, you don't? Okay. Because in Vancouver, <laughs> there was lots of Neil Diamond being played. And I just wondered if on that particular tour, you exclusively played Neil Diamond as in-between set music. Well, sometimes I play Willie Nelson. Sometimes I'll play James Brown. Sometimes Helen Wolf. I play elemental characters. Michael of the Swans, a guy here in Vancouver, Luke, from CITR Radio, he actually saw you play at CBGB's Art Lounge. And at this Art Lounge gig, a guy jumped up on stage and started to tongue-kiss you. Do you remember that gig at all? I'm sorry, he tried to do what? He tried to tongue-kiss you. A guy jumped tongue up... tongue-kiss me? Where he's like holding a cow's tongue and he was trying to kiss me at the same time? I Something like that. And my friend Luke <laughs> from CITR Radio here in Vancouver, after the gig went up to you and tried to get an autograph of the book Tape Delay, like he brought up his copy of Tape Delay for you to sign, but you didn't want to sign it because it had been such a strange gig. Do you remember playing a gig at the CBGB's Upstairs Art Lounge and having some wild Occurrences with a guy jumping up on stage at all, Michael? Uh, well, I was, I was playing solo? Yes. Um, yeah, I think I remember that. I don't remember that being so bad. Uh, Devendra played that show, too. So. I... I guess it was kind of sad for Luke because Luke really wanted his book signed, but you wouldn't sign his book. And he wanted me to ask you, now that you're coming back to Vancouver to play a gig on Friday, February the 25th, do you think you will be signing stuff? Would you be into signing stuff after the gig? Yeah, I'll sign um, all of this, everything that we have available for people, but I won't sign anything for Luke. I don't like him. <laughs> Even though I have no idea who he is. And you are Michael Jira from The Swans. Michael, The Swans have a brand new... LP, and on it, I noticed that John Darnell donated some money towards the record's production. How did that all work, people donating money towards the record's production? And do you know John Darnell of the Mountain Goats? Of course I do. Uh, but uh, I just I did this thing. It's like, you know, that Kickstarter program that's how people raise money to record an album. Uh, we didn't have the money to record a, uh, the album properly, so I just made... Uh, uh, a handmade uh, CD of uh, the demos for the songs, which is just me with acoustic guitar. And uh, I did a woodblock print, and I, I made up a four-color uh, version. I mean, I, a four, four colors that I, I drew on on this little um, uh, cardboard insert thing that you put the CD in. I, I just uh, labored intensively on each one. I made a thousand of those and sold them on the website of Young God Records. And... Um, raise the money that way to to uh, record this album. And there was a way that you could uh, also donate extra money and 
get a credit as a producer. And a lot of people, surprisingly, did that as well. And um, so we were able to record a good album. The Mountain Goats meets the Swans on your new LP. That was really cool. And I guess I was also wondering there, Michael, and we're speaking here to Michael Jira of the Swans, you got a good review in Big Takeover fanzine. Do you know the editor, Jack Rabbit? He's a very famous New Yorker. Just wondering if you've ever met him at all before. <laughs> He's a very famous New Yorker? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I know that dude. I've known him since about 1981 or something. Yeah, I know Jack. I wanted to mention him because indirectly he kind of helped set up this interview because Alan McInnes, who does a blog here in Vancouver called Alienated in Vancouver, he passed on your contact info for me and Alan is also writing up his interview for The Big Takeover. So I got to give some props to Jack Rabbit. What do you remember about Jack Rabbit in the early fanzine scene there, Michael? Because you were into fanzines yourself, like the no nice fanzine. He's a nice guy. Yeah, he was in some band. I forget the name of his band. But uh, he, he was a nice guy. I used, to, I used to hang out with him and Thurston. This is back in, like, God, 81, 82 or something. Uh, Jack's always been nice. What, what can I say? I don't know. He's, to me, he's just a person. That's not some figure. Another person that plays into the swans is Grasshopper. I love it. You have Grasshopper. What can you tell the people about Grasshopper? Uh, what do you want to know about him? Well, he plays mandolin right off the bat. I think that's great. Grasshopper and the mandolin, the legendary grasshopper. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, he lives up here uh, near uh, Woodstock, where I live, in New York. And we got together, and uh, <laughs> he played some, some mandolin on my record. It's really no exceptional thing. The record business. How is it going these days, Michael? Because you have the Young God Records. How is it going for distribution? Do you use revolver distribution? Uh, I sure do, yeah. It's fine. I guess what record stores still exist, they get the record in, too. Otherwise, people buy it um, at the shows, or they buy it um, on our website, younggodrecords.com. Um, there aren't that many stores left, as you know. So uh, kind of a hard business right now. Revolver is one of the greatest distributors, isn't it? I love Revolver. Mm -hmm. Have you had many other distributors over the years? <laughs> uh, yes, I've been, I've been on a, a lot of uh, record labels since I started my band in the early 80s. And none of them worked out, so I started my own label. And my, uh, when, I, when I started my own label in the um, early 90s, in fact, I think it was about 1990, uh, I had this great distributor, Rough Trade, and I got all the Swans records that existed up to that point together and released them through Rough Trade and also a new album at the time, which was called White Light from the Mouth of Infinity, which is a Swans record. And uh, we put all that stuff out on, re on uh, Rough Trade, and within six months, Rough Trade went bankrupt. So uh, everything was a huge financial disaster, and it was another uh, eight or ten years before I hooked up with a, a different distributor, um, Revolver, and sort of saved the day. In the interim, I was just scraping money together, borrowing money, trying to record records, and then licensing them to uh, little fly-by-night record labels. Jello Biafra and Alternative Tentacles are now distributed by Revolver, and they had some... 
and they had some similar problems with Mordam Records, like you did with Rough Trade. When did you first meet Jello Biafra, Michael Jello? I met I met Jello in. I think the first time I met him was in L.A. in '79. But then I hung out with him when I went up to San Francisco in 1980, when I still was a L.A. resident, and uh, we hit it off pretty well. And um, you know, we're not, we're not friends in that we get together or anything. But um, I, I respect him tremendously, and uh, I've known him. Yeah, but I don't really hang out with him, like I say. But I've known him since I guess '79 or something. He's always talked quite highly of the Little Cripples and the Strict Ids. Did Jello see your Little Cripples gigs? What would have? Oh, he must have. He must have seen that because we. I was just thinking about that the other day. We went up to uh, San San Francisco, and I think we played the Deaf Club. And um, I was uh, Alice Bag was my uh, girlfriend at the at the time, and uh, we we opened for the Bags, and. Uh, had a great show, and I remember, uh, what was it, Bruce Luce? I remember him in the audience from Flipper. And uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> that was my first ever rock show. Because <laughs> Jello has mentioned Little Cripples and the Strict Ids as bands that he's really influenced by and really digs. And then you ended up on Alternative Tentacles, his record label, a couple of years later, or a chunk of years later, didn't you? Well, he, re he released a solo uh, record by me, yeah. Also, you have Bill Rieflin in your oeuvre of the Swans, and we're speaking here to Michael Jira of the Swans. And Bill was in the Tupperwares from Seattle, which was pre-Screamers. And weren't the Screamers one of the first punk gigs you ever saw? The first punk gigs I ever saw? Yeah, wasn't that no. like one of the first punk gigs you saw was the Screamers? No, well, I, I, the first, I think one of the first punk gigs I went to was actually a, a benefit for the mask. And that was like in 78 or something. And uh, The Mask was a rock club, a punk club in uh, Hollywood. And um, it was just, the, the benefit was just right around the corner from where I was going to school, which was Otis Art Institute. And it was at a big Masonic Hall or something like that. And um, I saw uh, Screamers, X, probably uh, the Germs, the Weirdos, everybody all the L.A. punk pants, and right down, I just, I just, uh, well, you know, of course, I've been hearing the Sex Pistols and all kinds of uh, punk on the radio, and I just uh, decided that I was kind of fed up with the uh, elitism of art school and the whole art world, and I started getting involved in uh, the uh, punk rock world. Michael Jira of the Swans, speaking to me, Nardwarda Human Serviette in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And the Swans are coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, playing the Rickshaw Theatre on Friday, February the 25th in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And as I mentioned, you're listening to the Nardwarda the Human Serviette radio show. Bill Rieflin from the Swans was in the Tupperwares, which was pre-Screamers. Also in the Tupperwares was El Duce, who later went on to The Mentors. And it made me think, Michael... I've never asked Bill about that. That's amazing. Yeah. So he, was, he was in a band with, toma with Tomato in the band, Tomato? Exactly. The Tupperwares. They were out of Seattle. They're like a pre-Screamers sort of band. And, and Tomato De Plenty was in that band. Yes, I'm pretty sure he was in that band, because I think he's from Seattle. I thought he was from San Francisco. Oh. But, uh, 
That's that's very fascinating because I'm going to see Bill soon. I'm, I'm going to ask, ask him all about that. And the other, no yeah, and the other guy in the band was El Duce, and El Duce is from the legendary rape rock band, The Mentors. And it made me right. think, Michael. Did you ever meet Gigi Allen? What are some of the weirdos or rough punk characters that you've encountered over the years? Have you? I, met I never met Gigi Allen. I was never interested, actually. It seemed kind of um, silly. <laughs> it just seemed silly. Um, I don't know. Who are some of the rough punk characters? I don't know. Like, if it wasn't Gigi Allen when you were playing a gig with the Swans or any of the other yeah, bands? He never seemed that rough to me. I don't know. Some guy liked to abuse himself see that enough on the streets in New York City. It didn't seem that exceptional to me. Michael of the Swans, what was it like opening up for Bauhaus? We're up to 1981 here with Circus Mort. <laughs> I think that was not 1981. I think that was probably more like 1980. Uh, that was funny. I got in a big argument with the singer, what's his name, um, about, you know, them not moving their gear or something, of course. In those days, I argued with everyone. But I remember yelling at him, and we yelled at each other for a while, and they moved their gear, and then we played our show. And that was with Circus Mort. Did that stuff ever get reissued at all, the Circus Mort stuff? I certainly, I certainly hope not. And why is that? Because it was uh, pretty lame. I mean, the lyrics were good. Uh, my vocals weren't good, I don't think. I hadn't really found my uh, place to sing from yet. And the music was a little uh, adenoidal, a little uh, bouncy, and it uh, didn't really have any kind of a particular uh, unique character to it, as far as I'm concerned. It took me a while to figure out how to make music. Was there a guy in the band called Dr. Mojo at all in Circus Mort? Mojo? Was, uh, he was a huge black man that was in the band uh, intermittently. He used to beat on metal. Uh, he was a local DJ and uh, doorman and... Uh, person around town in the old days in New York City. I think he was a doorman at the Mud Club, lots of different places. And I knew Bojo. He was a super intelligent guy. Um, and yeah, he used to kind of moonlight in the band and just like slam metal on the downbeat once in a while. Because he had posted on a website, Michael, I played in the first lineup of the Swans with Jira, mm -hmm. Jonathan. I don't know if that's the truth. I don't remember what the first lineup was. There's so many people in the early days, particularly. Uh, I guess he did. It doesn't really matter. Great. No, he just said, I had this record stolen from my collection, meaning the Circus Mort record, and the fact that you have it available on your blog is just stupendous. Good work. I guess he went on the internet and was looking for a Circus Mort record, and it was out there as some MP3. So Dr. Mojo actually posted about the Circus Mort reissue. Wow. You really look for some obscure stuff, don't you? That's amazing. Michael, your dad. Did your dad really hire Brian Wilson, the Beach Boys' dad, Murray Wilson? Uh, I don't know if he hired him, but I know that the, he worked for my father's company uh, because I was uh, sitting with Devendra Banhart in, um, in a uh, house, which uh, we had a, some recording gear. We were recording his albums. Uh, um, that he recorded for Young God Records and um, recording just his vocals and guitar. We were down there and uh, we were watching some VH1 thing and uh, I never knew this before and uh, it's, it's, it was talking about Brian Wilson's uh, history and um, it was a bio, a bio thing on uh, Brian Wilson. 
and said his father worked for uh, Top Industries, which was an uh, aircraft uh, manufacturing company. And that was my father's company. <laughs> it showed this airplane taking off with Top Industries written on the side. And that was my father's company. Which makes me think, and maybe I'm going a bit too far here, Michael, but it might makes me sort of think that your dad might be in part kind of responsible for the Beach Boys. <laughs> I have no idea. I think it's great. Uh, Without I, you know, you know, one interesting thing is that my father, uh, my father was a, a working man. You know, I mean, he came from uh, South Dakota and worked on the roads, and just you know, he by no means was a privileged person. But he got the VA bill and he got some college. Uh, he was in the college basketball team in UCLA and kind of excelled and uh, started this company with his brother and uh, succeeded. But um, anyway, so all I'm saying is that he's, he wasn't like some uh, elite person. But he uh, he got the boys in in the factory to make me a surfboard, and uh, so I had this. You know, I, was, I don't know what I was like, eight or nine. And I had this, like, one of these uh, ancient uh, 1960 surfboards, probably, like, eight feet long and weighed 100 pounds or something, <laughs> that he had the boys in the factory make for me. And uh, maybe, who knows, maybe Brian Wilson's dad made me a surfboard. <laughs> Michael Jira of the Swans, coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, on Friday, February 25th, to the rickshaw. The Swans have been described as depth charge rock what do you think about that like the music you did in the very beginning no one had done what you had done before i had thought that hmm, maybe people have done like Merzbowl or the haters noise artists had like done stuff but they basically just like turned up an amp but what you had done had never been done before what do you think about that depth charge do you describe the swans as a depth charge rock well i would more i mean <laughs> In the early days, Swans was definitely big chunks of sound set to rhythm. It was atonal, not very musical, uh, and it was really just a, a sort of onslaught, a, a rhythmic onslaught, uh, which provided me an excuse to scream. Um, however, over the years, over uh, 15 years of Swans' existence initially, it transformed and, and it uh, um, Acquired lots of dynamics and uh, melody and harmony and different aspects, and really, it's just I, it was uh, me and and my cohorts trying to find new ways to make interesting sounds. But as far as what you're describing, the early uh, intent was sort of like to make the corollary of of uh, brutal intercourse, um, to put it uh, I guess politely, sonically. I think you nailed it completely there, because another review I see, Michael, describes the swans in this way, as a brontosaurus fucking a concrete mixer. That sounds like really, really bad writing, but uh, <laughs> I, there's not that impetus is in lots of things. I, I just um, bought this CD um, by this great uh, Polish composer who just died recently, uh, Heinrich Goreski. Uh, he's known primarily for Symphony Number no. Three, Symphony of Sorrowful Songs, which is very uh, beautiful, long, extended lament. But his Symphony Number no. Two is very similar to uh, Early Swans. It's lots of uh, bashing and uh, atonal chunks of sound thrown at you. Uh, later, it goes into sort of choral and beautiful bits. But um, you know, I remember hearing that and. Um, 
God, I know the Stooges. There's all kinds of places uh, where um, just these chunks of sound fly at you. You know, electronic music. Uh, so I'm in Gristle. Lots of people um, use sound that way. So. How about Lydia? How about Lydia Lunch's description? "Quote the Swans, the beauty of the beast. If this is the apocalypse, here's the soundtrack." That's from Lydia Lunch. Well, I don't know much about that, but I know that Lydia had one of the most beautiful asses I've ever seen. Bam, boom! Have you seen her around at all recently? <laughs> I haven't seen her recently, so I can't attest to it now. Michael Giro of the Swans, White Light from the Mouth of Infinity. Anton Fear and Fetus. What were those two like? Anton Fear and Fetus. Uh, they're nice people. <laughs> Jim remains... Uh, I, I like Anton, too. Anton and I had a falling out, but uh, Jim and I are friends, and um, Jim was uh, kind of an inspiration for my... Uh, Sort of getting the metal, metal to uh, go ahead and, and uh, reinvigorate swans. I'd uh, re, uh, I'd made some uh, contact with Jim again for the first time in several years, and uh, having seen him come from some very, very hard times and kind of rise up from the ashes and uh, start to make really exceptional music again, um, was inspirational to me, and uh, kind of made me want to make swans again for some reason and uh so i wrote a little uh, song on the record that's a tribute to him it's called jim in an obvious way and uh that's jim Thurwell. he's a great musician people should check out his work how about kid congo powers kid's a wonderful sweet person one of the sweetest people you would ever meet great musician i, I met him back in the day in in la 78 79 god was he doing um, Was he doing Gun Club back then, or was he doing the cramps? No, it was, it was the cramps, even before the cramps. He was a friend of Alice Bags, of the Bags. Susie Quattro. Did you know about the band The Pleasure Seekers with Susie Quattro? No. Uh, I, I got that name probably from the same place she got it, which was from a Mickey Spillane novel. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cheap detective novel. Um, and I thought it was a great name, and um, so I wanted to use it. And then uh, this is it, the very early days of computers and the Internet, and someone Googled it for me and looked around. I didn't have a computer then, and they found out that Susie Quattro had already used the name. And uh, my management contacted her, and she said, no, she wants to keep that name, so I couldn't use that name. And then I came up with the name Angels of Light, and then serendipitously, I found out that uh, Genesis P. Orich had already used that name once, um, and we became friends after we uh, I got in contact with him, and he said it was cool to use that name. He now says that, uh, which uh, is fine with me, he says I, I, used, I got that name from him, but I didn't. I just thought of it independently. But anyway, so we got in touch, and we became friends. And um, But now I know that the Angels of Light was also a uh, sort of uh, gay cabaret troupe in uh, San Francisco, one of uh, whom was the ubiquitous, it seems, Tomato de Plenty. <laughs> 
goes right back to Tomato and the Screamers and Seattle, Washington. And we're yeah, speaking here yeah. live to Michael Jira from The Swans. Michael, speaking of garage rock and stuff like that, when I think of Kid Congo, as I was mentioning, what do you think of the 80s garage rock scene out of New York? There was stuff happening here, like the flesh tones, the fuzz tones. What did you think of that stuff? Because you had seen Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett. Did you see Pink Floyd with Sid Barrett? No. I saw Pink Floyd uh, around the Umagumit period. I saw Pink Floyd in 1969 uh, when I was a runaway kid in uh, Belgium at a festival, at a, a big rock festival. Um, and that was without uh, Sid Barrett. I didn't know who the hell Sid Barrett was at that time. It was like uh, the time of, uh, you know, careful with that axe, Eugene, and um, the kind of big epic songs. Um, one of these days, the songs, um, it's just kind of built and built and built. Not much vocals, really. And um, at that show, uh, Frank Zappa actually sat in with them. It was pretty interesting. It's a big festival, lots of people playing. What did you think of the 80s garage rock revival? Like oh, what did I think of that? I didn't really care about it. I didn't really like garage rock. I liked the cramps. But uh, to me, that was just like watching this uh, sexual catastrophe on stage. It was just so amazing. Um, they were a great punk rock band. I don't know if they weren't stylistically, they weren't punk rock, but they sort of engendered all the, uh, uh, the kind of uh, loose, uh, wild uh, id that was necessary for punk. And they were really disturbing and really comical at the same time, which is really great. Michael. I, yeah, I didn't really like the garage rock stuff much. Uh, I am now friends, um, very good friends, with uh, Peter Aaron, who's a singer of the Chrome Cranks. And um, I like them very much. How did you meet them? How did you meet the Chrome Cranks? Um, up here where I live, near Woodstock, in New York. Uh, I, I met Peter up there. And uh, Bob Burt. From, you know, used to be in Sonic Youth with their drummer, too. And BB Gun fanzine, the great BB Gun fanzine. Yeah, it is. It's nice. Well, it's not, it doesn't exist anymore, but... It was like the best fanzine. I loved BB Gun. And he was also in the Knoxville Girls, too, with Kid Congo. Remember the Knoxville Girls? Sure, I saw them several times. That was a great band on In The Red Records by Larry Hardy. Larry Hardy. Have you ever met Larry Hardy from In The Red Records? No. <laughs> He was actually at one time married to one of the Pandoras, speaking of garage rock and L.A. rockin' and stuff like that as well. But it sounds to me like you know just about everything that exists about rock and punk music. <laughs> Not really. I just love like soaking stuff up. And the swans, Michael, you have like all this stuff associated with you that makes me think of this stuff. For instance, 6th Street and Avenue B. You had right. a bunker jam space with the swans there. What was that like? It was sort of like a place you entered with a hatch? It sounded amazing. It was a hatch? <laughs> uh, no, it was, a, it was a door, but I had I reinforced it with steel and uh, lat and uh, like two by fours that would slide into, uh, into um, slots so that you couldn't kick it in. Because at the time, um, Sixth Street and Avenue B was extremely dangerous, and you know, we had uh, our amps and things in there, and people would want to come in and steal things, and uh, so I kind of just made it into a, a reinforced uh, military installation. <laughs> and it had uh, one window in the back; that was it. Like a, it was about about a uh, one foot by wide by 
two foot high window with bars, with huge thick metal bars on it. So there's no, no light. And I lived there. I lived there and we rehearsed there. It was about 700 square feet. I, I cut it in half, and uh, one half was where Spawns and Sonic Youth rehearsed, and the other half was where uh, I lived. And um, eventually my ex, uh, Jarbo, lived there with me as well. What was the neighborhood like, i.e., the people? Because I had heard that, quote, people left, quote, little bags with chicken feet and stuff in them for you. Yeah, the uh, Puerto Ricans didn't like us very much. Well, I can't really blame them now that I think about it. Um, well, first of all, the space we moved into was a kind of Santeria church before uh, we took it over. And um, I guess and then when we started making these horrible sounds coming out of there, which were reverberating through the neighborhood, we weren't very popular. And um, that's okay. <laughs> Speaking of food and stuff, Marky Ramone. Do you know Marky Ramone of the Ramones at all? You ever met him at all? No, I never hung out with those people. I never met them. Because he has his own Brooklyn's own pasta sauce. Marky Ramone's pasta sauce. Really? Have you ever thought that, of... Is have that you, used condoms in it or something? Yeah, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> has there been anything like that ever proposed for the swans? Have you ever had a pasta sauce for the swans? What's the wildest sort of marketing thing that has perhaps been proposed for the swans? Uh, nothing. I don't really think about things like that. I don't really try to be a part of that world. Um, so, sorry. Eden Prison on your new LP. That's some childhood memories that you have. What was it like spending time <laughs> In an Israeli prison, what was a day like in an Israeli uh, the prison? The only thing I could say is that uh, <laughs> I didn't spend that long a time in jail. It's like two and a half, three and a half months. I don't remember now. It's like thirty years ago. Um, but I, uh, one uh, memory that inspired me, I guess, or that was a source that I go back to, was this uh, one uh, poor Arab boy that was raped, multi-raped nightly, and in this uh, barracks in which we lived. It wasn't really. Each person in the cell was an open barracks, and the, the Arabs had their side, and then we American expatriates, uh, these, you know, traveling people had our side. And I would hear the sounds of this boy being orally and anally raped each night. And that was, uh, that affected my view of the world, for sure. Michael Jira of the Swans, winding up here. Lastly, how do cookies play in the history of the Swans? Cookies. 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 I have no idea. Is this some obscure thing you found in a fanzine or something? Pretty much. Here it is. Jarbo said, in 1983, I was baking... Who said? Who said? Jarbo. Oh, Jarbo. Right. Jarbo. Okay. In 1983, I was baking cookies in my mother's kitchen and had the radio on when the station Rec Atlanta played Power for Power. I drove all over town trying to find the record. When it seemed nowhere to be found, I went to the station and borrowed their copy. I wore out the grooves playing it over and over, especially as I lifted weights. Jarbo. That's, that sounds true. That's true. So you what can, a wonderful woman she was. So you can verify the baking cookies part as part of the Swan's well, legacy. Well, I wasn't there. But I presume it's true. Oh, that's great to know. <laughs> Do people coming out to see the swans 
How do they differ at all from who swatted swans before? Is it still lots of younger people? Is it people of all different types? Is it mods? Is it rockers? Is it metalheads? Did many metalheads come out in the early days when you were playing gigs? What did you think of metalheads coming to your shows? I don't know. Um, I, I like it that people enjoy the music. Um, in the, uh, what can I say? Uh, it depends on where we play, but uh, generally it seems to be a very mixed audience. Uh, not old and, and not young. I mean, just mixed, completely mixed. Uh, thankfully, it's not all old people. Um, a lot of young people have discovered the music of swans over the years, and um, it seems to have had an influence on a lot of music. So our audience is very diverse. And it's not like in the olden days, the days of yore, when the uh, relationship with the audience was antagonistic. People seem to come sort of kind of knowing what they're going to get, and um, they're open to it. And it's very intense. It's very um, cathartic, I guess, in certain ways. And uh, it's a great experience, and I'm glad I started Swans again. So that's about all I can say. Is that enough interview for you? Yes. Oh, one last question here. Just curious, Michael. Did you ever play any gigs with Big Black or Godflesh at all? Did the Swans ever play with Big Black or Godflesh? No, I'm not um, in, um, an aficionado of those uh, groups' music. I don't really know much about it, and I've never gravitated towards it. And what inspired your album, Public Castration is a Good Idea? <laughs> Well, first of all, that was a uh, live recording, so that says one thing, public castration. And I just, it, I was kind of searching for a title. I wrote down lots of different scenarios, and uh, that title seemed to be the catchiest and the one to describe the experience of swans in those days, the best. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all, Michael Jira from the swans? What else do I want to add? Uh, there's always hope. Things always change. Well, thanks so much, Michael. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Excuse me? Almost. Do do the loot do. Oh, I won't say that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you almost got it when you said, excuse me. That almost got okay. it there. Actually, that might have worked, actually. Excuse are me work. Are you going to come to our show? Oh, definitely. I'm going to come you, with... You, you seem like you'll be a very interesting person to meet. I look forward to meeting you. Well, you want to be on the, do you need to be on the guest list? or you, I'm, sure, I'm sure you can just talk your way in, right? I'd probably need to be on the guest list. <laughs> but I will be there with my friend Luke from CITR who wants to get his copy of that book okay, signed. I'll, I'll do that. Well, you know, my very good friend, Charles Neal, wrote that book. And um, he has continued to be a good friend over these, what, 30 years. He now has a couple children who are, geez, they're almost grown. And he's a, uh, he has become a wine importer and an expert on wine and, uh, and um, Armagnac and, and Cognac. <laughs> oh, I look forward from, for his books on that, too. That's great, because, like, tape delay, 1985, so early, yeah. so landmark. Yeah, like, yeah he's a great guy. When I first saw the book, I thought, oh, this is like a retrospective, because I only saw it years later. But 1985, like, right there it came out. Amazing. Well... Yeah. Thank you so much for your time, Michael Jura. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Talk to you later. Not quite. Almost. Just finished the beat. Do do the loot do.
I'll talk to you later. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. That works. Bye-bye. All right. Okay. See you later. Bye. See ya.
You're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, and the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard, right there, The Swans, brand new from The Swans with Eden Prison. And before that, an interview with Michael Jira from The Swans, who are playing Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada here next Friday, the 25th at the rickshaw the swans visit vancouver gonna play a couple more things by the swans here's the swans with half life on the nardwar the human serviette radio show fm 102 cable 102 vancouver british columbia canada and this particular track is from 1984 the swans.
Yeah.
And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show on CITR, FM 102, Cable 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And you just heard right there the Swans with Thug. And before that, the Swans with Mother, My Body Disgusts Me. And before that, the Swans with Half-Life, and before that, The Swans with Eden Prison, and before that, an interview with Michael Jira of The Swans, who will be here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, next Friday night at the rickshaw. The Swans in Vancouver, BC, Canada. I mentioned earlier, had a bunch of stuff sent to me, some stuff by Stephen from Equalizing Distort. He sent me some recordings that he's done on his show with legendary Canadian rockers, punk rockers, I should say, Arson, and also got a CD from Sheeta A. Lay Wismuller. Thanks so much. And during the course of this Nard, they're from France, and during the course of this Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, I had a listener send in a remix of a Jira, a Michael Jira tune, or should I say Michael Jira spoken word. So right now, to end the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show, we're going to play this listener contribution to the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. This is a remix of Michael Jira. And again, if you want to see Michael Jira and the Swans live, it's next Friday at the Rick Shaw. Thank you very much, Beppy, for sending in this Jira remix on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette radio show. I feel nothing for you. I hold myself down. Keep to yourself. You shouldn't touch me. My skin peels off my bones. I'll give you a gift. Take the skin from my stomach and stretch it across your face. Look in the mirror. I see myself through your eyes. My body's on the ground behind you. You use it to amuse yourself. When you kick it around the room, you feel the impact of your boots in your stomach. Cry for me. Blame me for the fact you no longer recognize yourself. Lying here, I want the air in this room to consume me, to pull my body in behind itself while you stare down at me, uncertain if you've lost yourself in me. You're running your hands along the leather surface of your skin. The sound this makes changes pitch according to the area of your body you touch. Your thighs and your groin generate a low hum. The sound of my corpse releasing dead air when you kick me. Your face generates a continuous high-pitched squeal. The sound I make when you burn me. I take you over. You forget yourself in my body. When you chew a piece of skin from your finger, you remember my body in your mouth. My bones cracking between your teeth. I love you. When you lick your hand, your sweat tastes like my blood. Conceal yourself. Close yourself off. Pull back into my skin. I'm inside you. The place on the floor where my body decayed left a stain on your memory. That's the signature of my love for you. You can't forget me without losing yourself. I'll never die. Sobrang pagnyenyet-nyet Agad si babae raw Matagal na niyang kabit Ako yung matras na rin Gusto 
niya kong sugurin at napansin kong bumunot ng baril. Kaya ako'y biglang napalokso at pumaripas ng takbo. Kung lisman siya ng aming distrito, ayaw ko na siyang ipoto. Ang hirap ng mag-happy-happy ka.